to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7. Matthew, chapter 7. <clears throat> just want to consider for a few moments the, the warning that Jesus gives towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 13, he says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there be many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, and therefore by their fruits you will know them. I just want to consider this. It ties in with the message today regarding the sorcerer in Acts chapter 13. Paul speaks very strongly against him. Uh, but the Lord Jesus uses strong language as well against false prophets. Uh, he begins with this exhortation to enter the narrow gate and to walk the narrow road. Uh, but he, he says uh, in, a, in a parallel passage, the same exhortation, but he says, For I say to you, many will seek to enter, but will not be able to. Why are they unable? Well, there's two basic reasons uh, the Scriptures give, but I'm sure there are others, but it's because they are unwilling to receive the demands of the kingdom. They want to be saved, but they want an easy Christianity. They don't really want to enter a narrow gate. They don't want to hear about narrow gates and straight roads. Uh, so for them, the true gospel is just too demanding. It demands that we deal with our sin and ourself and self-indulgence and so forth. Jesus, here in the Sermon on the Mount, he lays out things uh, that are difficult to bear. But they're also impossible to do. And Christians know that. They know that they could never keep the Sermon on the Mount, and it's not keeping the Sermon on the Mount uh, that gives them a right to enter into heaven. Uh, we must trust in Christ completely and wholly, trusting in what He has done on our behalf. And yet, there still are things that He demands that we do. We can't ignore that. <laughs> These aren't suggestions for a happy life. These are commands that our King has given for those who would be members of his kingdom. And then also the his ways, though they are demanding, are really the most pleasant and satisfying ways. When we're following Christ, when we're looking to him, looking for his strength, but following his word, we're the most happy because his word leads to life. And his word are in his word are the paths of life. His word is light to our path, and so forth. You remember when Pilgrim, in Pilgrim's Progress um, met up with Apollyon, the devil himself, and Apollyon reminded him that if you've come out of the city of destruction, you're one of my subjects. And Pilgrim acknowledged, I was indeed born in your dominions, 
But your service was hard and your wages, such as a man could not live on, for the wages of sin is death. To speak the truth, I like his service, that is the Lord Jesus' service, his wages, his servant, his government, his company, his country, better than mine. (laughs) Therefore, he says, leave off to persuade me further. I am his servant and I will follow him. But Christians have come to see and understand that following Christ is not always easy, but it's always the best way. But another major reason, and this is what ties into the message this morning, why men might seek to enter but will not be able, is because of the false prophets who lead them astray. No sooner did Jesus say, enter by the narrow gate and uh, the narrow road, then he says, beware, verse 15, of false prophets. That's a real danger. It's a danger not only at the beginning when you're seeking to enter, but really all along the way. Uh, I've known of people that have uh, been very conservative in their views and of the scriptures, very fundamental in their views, holding to the fundamentals of the faith. But somewhere along the line, they bought into a lie and they've departed from the faith, which is a very sad thing. But in other words, just because you believe that you've entered the way of salvation and you're trusting Christ doesn't mean that you're safe and secure from the influence of a false prophet. The book of Jeremiah, which I quoted this morning, says a lot of things about the false prophets. It was a problem in, in Jeremiah's day. And he said, an astonishing, horrible thing has been committed in the land. What's that horrible thing that's been committed in the land? The prophets prophesy falsely and the priests rule by their own power. But here's the worst of it all. My people, he said, love to have it so. My people, they're they're not troubled by false prophets. But this goes on in the New Testament. We see the same thing. Uh, In fact, uh, there are admonitions in Paul's letters, especially in the letter to the Galatians, that you're putting up with these false teachers. That, that's the uh, that's the worst of it all. It's not just that false teachers creep into the church, but you're letting them do it. You're letting them stay. You're in the name of love. You're you're tolerating them. Uh, in, in Ezekiel twenty five twenty two verse twenty five, uh, the conspiracy of her prophets in the midst of in the midst is like a roaring lion tearing the prey. And they have devoured the people. The false prophets have always been dangerous in this way. Paul said to the the church in Ephesus uh, when he was leaving them, Acts 20, verse 29. He's about to leave them. He's been with them for several years and he's been teaching them uh, house to house, teaching, holding back nothing, but giving them the whole counsel of God. But he said, I know that after my departure... Savage wolves will come in to you, not sparing the flock. And so he says, watch. (laughs) Therefore, watch. Take heed to yourself, he said, uh, and to your doctrine. Uh, Likewise, Peter warns of the same thing. 2 Peter 2, verse 1. As there were false prophets among the people, even or there were false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. John says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. 
Don't be naive. Don't be gullible. Don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because, and here's the reason, many false prophets have gone out into the world. And I ask, well, where's the call to be watchful against false prophets in our day? Where's the call to beware? Is the danger past? Or are we, we no longer have to worry about that? No, there are false prophets more than ever, I would argue, in our day. And so more than ever do we need to heed this this admonition, this warning, beware of false prophets. Well, what is the definition of a false prophet? Well, a prophet, you know, and I've said many times, is a spokesman for God. He's really God's mouthpiece. In the Old Testament, God put his words in their mouth. And so when they spoke, uh, it was God speaking. And that's why sometimes I get confused. Now, is God speaking here or is Moses when I'm reading something in the Old Testament? Well, God was speaking through Moses. And so he is the the prophet is the, the mouthpiece. And some people think of a prophet as someone who just simply tells the future. That was one aspect of their ministry. But the other was just to reveal the will of God, to reveal his nature and his will to the people. Uh, but this is taught throughout the scripture that alongside of the truth of God comes the liar, the false prophet. That's always been the tactic of the devil. He's called the father of lies. And so uh, Jesus said alongside uh, of the wheat, the enemy comes, the enemy, the devil comes and he sows the tares among the wheat, a wheat in the in the in the flock. And so that's been his modus operandi throughout history. J.C. Ryle said this. He said, the plain truth is that false doctrine, which is the teaching of false prophets, has been the chosen engine which Satan has employed in every age to stop the progress of the gospel of Christ. Finding himself unable to prevent the fountain of life from being opened, he's labored incessantly to poison the streams which flow from it. If he could not destroy it, he has too often neutralized its usefulness by addition, adding things to God's word, subtraction or substitution. In a word, he has corrupted men's minds. And so the false prophet then is someone who comes along pretending to be a spokesman for God. And... Um, and though there are no false prophets in the technical sense of, of an actual spokesman for God, is still something that is applied in every age. And we need to be careful. Jesus speaks of the danger of the false prophets. And, and here's where people really fall into the trap of thinking that there's no real danger or serious harm in false teaching. Oh, they, uh, they may just see it as something that not to be bothered with. Um, they don't seem at all very concerned with whether or not someone is a true teacher or prophet of God or a false prophet. And so they ignore even the possibility of a danger. I've heard many of the charismatics on television say things like uh, against people who want to to try to discern whether someone is a false prophet or if an accusation comes out that there's a false teaching 
they will uh, they'll put their nose in the air and say, oh, that's just some old heresy hunters. You know, we got just, that's, that's just the way these people are. They want to make a big thing out of nothing. And so they despise people that want to discern whether a teaching is true or whether it's false. Uh, but Jesus said, beware. Beware. Inwardly, he says, they are ravenous wolves. They'll destroy you. Now, a sheep, you know, has no greater or more deadly enemy than a wolf. Uh, with their quickness and their powerful eyes, they could uh, rip up, rip to shreds a poor helpless sheep. I, there was a video that came out in the news the other day of, of, a, of a bear attacking a moose and her calf. Uh, they had a, there was a, one of those uh, trail cams that caught it all on, on trail. I didn't watch it. I didn't want to see it happen. Uh, but it wasn't good for the moose or his calf. But it's interesting that the bear attacked the, the moose. Moose tried to attack him, uh, lost the battle. But uh, the calf, there was a, a wolf over there to the side who was waiting and took the calf. Uh, but they're there. They're, they're deadly. Um, and so they're deadly against the sheep who have no defense, uh, no way of defense. Uh, also, Paul, he says... Uh, after my departure to the Ephesian church, savage wolves will come in, not sparing the flock. So he's painting it in a, in a very ugly picture because he wants to get your attention. This isn't something that you can just shrug off and say, no big deal. Uh, why are you guys all so worried about teaching and doctrine and sound doctrine and this and that? Uh, in Second Peter, knows how he describes the, 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 the false prophet. He says, there were, as there were false prophets among the people, there will be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce to you destructive heresies. And the King James calls them damnable heresies. Uh, and then uh, verse 2 says, and many will follow their destructive ways. So it, it is a dangerous thing. They're not something to be ignored. We need to really have our antennas up. Not so much to be sensitive where you suppose everybody and every teacher is a false teacher. I've, I've seen on the Internet some of these blogs where uh, they seem to attack every every Christian preacher there is for something. Uh, and I think they just have their antennas tuned a little too high now. But uh, that's not to say if, if they bring up something that could be false, then we need to pay attention. But um, we can't say that doctrine doesn't matter. There, they could be doctrines that are destructive and, in the end, soul-destroying. And so we need to be careful. Paul writes to the Philippians. Almost every book he warns against this. But in Philippians he says, Beware of dogs. <laughs> Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation or the circumcision, he calls it. Um, he's talking about those who were introducing works as part of your salvation that you needed not only to trust Christ, but you needed to be circumcised as well. And he mentions no words. He calls them dogs, evil workers, the mutilation. And then he he expresses this disgust for those false teachers. He said, they bewitched you. You ran well, but who hindered you? Who was it? And then he says in Galatians 5.8, this persuasion does not come from him who calls you. And then he warns a little leaven leavens the whole lump. This isn't something to be ignored. Uh, 
Um, uh, and so he, he says uh, in verse 12 of chapter 5, listen to this. He says, I wish those who trouble you would even cut themselves off, uh, mutilate themselves, that is what he's saying. It's very disgusting what he's talking about here. But he thinks it's that serious. This isn't just something to yawn about and say, oh, well, uh, live and let live. No, he, he doesn't like these teachers. They're pulling them away from the truth as it is in Jesus Christ. Well, why such language? Why such harshness? There, God is a patient God. God is forgiving God. And he'll forgive even the sin of heresy and uh, false teaching. He'll forgive that. But there are some sins that God comes out with, uh, you know, he comes out swinging in a sense. And one of the sins that God does is false teaching. That's a serious thing. Why? I believe there's a twofold motive. And one is Godward and the other is manward. Godward is because of a love and zeal for the truth of God. David said in Psalm 119, I love your commandments more than gold. Uh, therefore, your precepts concerning all things I consider to be right, and I hate every false way. Now, this doesn't mean you hate everybody that holds to a false view, uh, but you hate every false way. Second uh, Peter 2, he says, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. Remember, that's what, that's what Paul said to the sorcerer in, in Acts 13. He says, you pervert the straight ways of God, the right way, the straight way. They pervert it. Uh, Peter talks about the writings of Paul, that he writes some things that are hard to understand. He said, uh, whom some twist to their own destruction. They twist the word of God. They're not giving truth any longer. They're giving falsehood. And so it's a Godward concern for God's truth. But also there's a manward concern, a pastoral concern, a true love and concern for the well-being of the flock, that they would be protected from these ravenous wolves. Paul expresses it in in uh, in Second Corinthians and other places where he speaks of, of false prophets. He said, oh, that you would bear with me in my folly. Indeed, you do bear with me, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, this is what Ryle calls apostolic fears. I fear that lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And then he says there comes to, comes a, a one who preaches another Jesus whom we've not preached. Or you receive a different spirit than what we've, you received. Or a different gospel which, uh, which you've not accepted. And he says, and you put up with it. Why are you putting up with these people who are teaching another Jesus or another gospel? That's how important this is. And then, uh, not only are these false prophets dangerous, Jesus warns of their danger, but he warns also of their deception. He comes in sheep's clothing. And that's one of the most frightening things about false prophets or false teachers is that you might never imagine that they are such. Uh, he comes, after all, in sheep's clothing. I'm one of you. And so no one suspects a thing. 
That's what makes false prophets and false teaching so dangerous. Just like if if someone knocked at your door and you look out the window and it's a police officer. Generally, you would open the door and greet him. Find out what he wants. You're not afraid. He's a police officer. And that's what people do regarding false teaching. They say, I'm one of you. Uh, and you see many false teachers and false religions. They, they, uh, they put out very attractive bulletins or, or pamphlets. And you look at Jehovah's Witness. They, they seem so wholesome and family oriented. They appeal to the needs of society and so forth. Have you hugged your kids today? Those kinds of things. Uh, but that's what takes people off guard. They expect a, a ravenous wolf to look like a ravenous wolf. They don't expect them to look like a sheep. You think of when Paul said, I, I'm afraid that just as Satan deceived Eve in the garden, he, so you're deceived as well. Well, how did Satan appear to Eve? Well, it says that the, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord made. And so that's why he comes he comes in a cunning way, a, a way of persuading you. Um, but but the Bible tells us to to beware, be on guard, uh, to take note of those who cause divisions and so forth. And so we need to be careful of that. I just want to end with this statement of, of J.C. Ryle, having given you just the, the try to give you the definition and dangers and deception of a false prophet. He said this. He said, as God could send a nation of people no greater blessing than to give them faithful, sincere, upright ministers. So the greatest curse that God can possibly send upon the people in the world is to give them over to blind, unregenerate, carnal, lukewarm and unskilled guides. And yet in all ages, we find that there have been many wolves in sheep's clothing, many that daubed with untempered mortar that prophesied smoother things than God did allow. As it was formerly, so is now. There are many that corrupt the Word of God and deal deceitfully with it. Um, I think that's not only a call to beware of false prophets and false teachers, but it's a call to prayer. God is the one who sends, as He says, uh, faithful, sincere, upright ministers. God sends them. And so we should pray that He would send many more. That they would come. That they would be skilled in the Word of God. That they could refute those that are in opposition. So that they might teach the people God's ways. And so we need to pray that God will raise up many more. And as we pray for ourselves and praying for a new minister to come alongside and help, that He will be a faithful guide and be able to to protect the flock and to be able to lead us into green pastures. And so let's pray for that as we pray that we would be discerning of false teaching and false prophets, that we wouldn't be gullible. That's the thing in our day. People are just not thinking. Christianity is a thinking man's religion. You should think. You should uh, gird up the loins of your mind, as Paul says. You need to be watchful and sober. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling about as a roaring lion. But you see, him prowling about uh, doesn't... He might, he might walk through the door with a big smile on his face and have winsome words and, 
and come across in a way that I'm of no harm to you. I'm just here to help. And so you need to be watchful and sober, ready. And so let's pray that God would make us all more so and that we would follow the way of truth and not the false ways. Let's pray. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you.